0: Recovery Elevator episode 403
1: Yeah um, Probably four or five years ago uh, I got to a point to where it, it didn't do anything for me Except for just make me feel sort of normal Uh, like
0: this Yeah, that should work Mix down <laughs> Yeah, keep going
2: Yo, yo Mix down Three,
0: four Yo, yo weeki, weeki. three Mix four. down There we go Seven, eight Wiki
1: mix down. High's
0: in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki wiki mix down. There we go. Three four. Wiki wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Pat. He's 38 years old from Douglasville, Georgia, and took his last drink on February 22, 2022. Great job, Pat. Listeners, we have got an all star lineup of events. This can be found at recoveryelevator.com forward slash events. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. We've got our intensive dry January course starting January 1st. We've got our AF ukulele course starting February 4th. Ari is going back to Costa Rica for some sober travel. This is a different itinerary for the most part than what we did earlier this year. And then we've got our annual flagship retreat in Bozeman, Montana. Dates are already locked in, August 9th to the 13th, 2023. Again, go to the Recovery Elevator website to check out these events. And before we get any further, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Exact Nature.
2: Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. Recently, I've been taking Exact Nature's Z's pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC-free, and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: I want to say thank you to all our Cafe Re chat hosts. You all do an amazing job. Okay, let's get started. Today I want to talk to you about some things in this universe, or the way it works, that I find incredibly fascinating. Now how is this applicable to quitting drinking? For me, it means connection and higher power. In fact, since learning what I will discuss with you in this brief moment of time we have together, it has forever changed how I look at the night sky, especially the constellation Orion. Now if you've been in the recovery world for a minute, You've heard that having a higher power, a power greater than yourself is important. Some would say it's a requirement. My stance is yes, you need to recognize a substantial connection with something that is greater than you or other than you. It's getting out of your head. And my hope is some of these concepts we covered today will plant that very seed. Now, some may call this God type stuff. And it's not my job, nor is it my point to convince you that a higher power exists, or for you to believe in my higher power. In fact, I think that would be dangerous. The point, again, is to plant a seed. Perhaps create fissures in some of your paradigms regarding spirituality. As Bill W. and Dr. Bob say, finding a higher power is a must when ditching the booze. Yes, this may be a bit woo-woo or mystical, but almost all of it is backed up by science and testimony. Again, I find this stuff mind-blowing and highly applicable to sobriety. So let's do this. Okay, the opposite of addiction is connection. But I'll admit, sometimes it's hard to feel connected while living on this planet. So let's talk NDEs or near-death experiences for a minute. NDEs are when people are clinically dead and they come back to life. Anita Morjani wrote a great book about this called Dying to Be Me where in her near-death experience, she felt such oneness and wholeness that she came back into her body and healed her terminal cancer. Okay, there are thousands of NDE experiences, and many of them contain some of the same recounts. For example, many during their near-death experience recall seeing a small electrical thread connecting human beings to each other. Some electrical currents are connected to many, and some currents are pulsing at higher capacity. But the common theme is that we are all connected via this electrical current. Now, Indian Chief Seattle knew this as well when he said, what we do to one, we are doing to ourselves because we are all connected. Now, we are not just connected to humans. There are electrical threads connecting us with animals, plants, rocks, and your neighbor's pet rabbit. In 1852, a French scientist named M. Benoit took 104 snails and let them become wonderful friends. He then partnered them up with names on their shells. He sent half of them to America and then gave a snail an intense electrical shock. At the exact same time in America, the snail's partner received a similar electrical shock and expressed agitation. Studies like this have been done over and over with the same outcome. Another common response with near-death experiences is where we go after we die, or begin the journey to. Because remember, near death is not dying. You come back to life. So many people say that when you die, if you're good, you go to heaven. I'm kidding on that one, listeners. Okay, a common response is that after you die, we go to the middle star of Orion's belt for an examination of our life. It's a cleansing of the soul of sorts. There are multiple cultures, such as the Mayans and the Egyptians who taught this also. Now, with NDEs, they don't make it to the star because they realize it's not their time to go, but to them it's clear when they drop the body that's where they're headed. In hypnosis, there are also many stories involving a stopover in the middle star of Orion's belt as well. Okay, I hope you're sticking with me. So now this brings us to the Pyramids of Giza. The pyramids mirror the stars in Orion's belt, meaning, when scaled down, they are an exact match geographically to the stars in Orion's belt. The Egyptians worshipped the middle star of Orion's belt, and ancient hieroglyphs depict traveling to the middle star in the afterlife. In addition, the three main pyramids of Giza are the most precisely aligned structures on Earth, facing true north with only three sixtieth of a degree of error. Even now, the pyramid is still aligned with the four cardinal points, north, south, east, and west, more accurately than any other modern structure on earth including the meridian building at greenwich observatory in london which is humanity's current pinnacle of precision the pyramids are more precisely placed now there are theories that aliens built the pyramids regardless of who built them it's clear it was from a society much more advanced than ours in some aspects with a deeper knowledge of the stars and one could even say god Now for me, this is where the pyramids are mind-blowing, it's with the measurements. So you measure its base perimeter, then measure its height. You'll get a scale of one to 43,200, which is not a random number. If you measure the base perimeter of the Great Pyramid and multiply it by 43,200, you get the exact equatorial circumference of the earth. If you take the height of the pyramid and multiply it by 43,200, you get the exact radius of the earth. So for all those centuries, when we were living in the Dark Ages, thinking the world was flat, not even knowing we were living on a planet, past humans had already discovered the exact dimensions of the Earth. They knew it was round. In fact, the sides of the pyramid are not flat. They are concaved and match the curvature of the Earth. Copernicus, Galileo had only partially rediscovered what past humans had already known for quite some time. In fact, most Egyptologists now agree the pyramids were not tombs, or at least the main point of the pyramids were not tombs. In fact, an idea that is emerging as we continue to study the pyramids is that an ancient civilization built them as a messenger, one that would withstand the elements to give us the secrets of life, secrets of the afterlife, and how to live a prosperous life. And the language is math. So we've built the empire state building and impressive skyline structures But we, as in our society today, could not build the pyramids. In the 70s, a group from Japan, sponsored by Nissan, set out to build a one-fourth scale of the Great Pyramid and they couldn't do it. The project didn't get very far. There isn't a crane on the planet that could lift one, let alone 2.3 million 30-ton stone blocks. Scientists can still not recreate the mortar or the glue. The compounds used to hold the rocks together are not found on this planet. It's strange stuff. All right. (laughs) All right, listeners, are you still with me? Just a little bit more. Let's talk the Mayan calendar. Do you all remember the end of the world in December 2012? The significance of December 2012 was it marked the end of a 25,920 year astrological cycle. And as William Shakespeare says, the golden age is before us, not behind us. So what does this mean? Prophecies say that when this cycle ends and another begins, we have a major leap forward in human consciousness or human evolution. 50,000 years ago, almost overnight, it was art. It was pottery. It was musical instruments, cave paintings. 25,000 years ago, in the blink of an eye, it appears Neanderthals evolved into human beings. This is one theory. Now, keep in mind, each human being contains up to 3% Neanderthal DNA. So we are 10 years into a new transformation and if you turn on the news check in with your inner self in my opinion something is going down it is said that all of this has to do with an intensity of solar flares i remember in 2021 on the cover of the wall street journal i saw a picture of the sun and the title said nasa has been recording an uptick in solar flares okay so what does this mean It means you're going to experience some dysfunction similar to how the caterpillar loses its shit before it morphs into a beautiful butterfly. We as a human species are doing the same thing. Ditch the booze and hold on tight. It's a wonderful time to be alive. Okay, listeners, thank you for sticking with me. I know some of you are saying, yo, Paul, sobriety podcast. I'm on day one. I don't give a about snails or the pyramids, and that's okay. I'll do my best to tie this into sobriety. Addiction is a lot of things. Disease, environmental adaptations, you pick. One thing for sure is that an addiction disconnects us from the external world and from within. It's disconnection. I'm sharing this with you in hopes of planting a seed. No matter what the Bruno voice or the ego says, you are not alone. You are connected with every other living thing on this planet and the universe. Science backs this up as well but knowing this doesn't make us feel better. We actually need to feel it. So that's the seed I'm trying to plant. It's feeling the love from a past civilization that dedicated generations of labor and manpower to build something for you to decipher. It's a message that includes love, connection, inclusivity, and wholeness. All right, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I find this stuff absolutely fascinating. Okay, and now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Pat.
2: Have you ever wished that there was a manual for life and sobriety? I don't know how long you've been listening to this show, but I even wrote an episode intro on this topic titled, There is no manual. I remember going to treatment and seeking for the manual on how to fix myself. Tell me what steps to take. I'll take them and voila, I'll be as good as new. Boy, was I wrong. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. They basically assist in creating your own personalized manual, your tool belt. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/elevator. That's betterhelp h e l p.com/elevator.
1: Pat, how
0: are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good.
0: Yeah, good to be here with you, Pat. Got a question for you. When was your last drink?
1: This February, uh 2222.
0: I love it. Sometimes those dates just line up two twenty two, twenty two. 22. Were you thinking about quitting drinking a couple days before that? And you're like, nah, I'm going to go for an easier sobriety date of two twenty two, twenty-two? Um yeah, yeah. Or was that just by I, chance?
1: No, I planned it. You know, I, uh, the, the, uh, the time before I tried to uh, sort of stop drinking and I, I couldn't really remember when the last day was or whatever. And I, when I planned it this time, I sort of picked out that day that I wouldn't forget and I worked toward that day and stop then.
0: I'm curious about that. We're going to unpack that later. But uh, before we get there, Pat, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun, Pat?
1: I was born in Anchorage, Alaska, so pretty cool. My father was military. And then I grew up mostly in Birmingham, Alabama, moved over to Georgia about eight years ago. I live outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I do. I am married. Going on six years. No kids yet. Got a couple of dogs. As far as work, I sell hearing aids, which is really cool. And then for fun, I like to go to the driving range. As far as golf, I don't necessarily golf. I just hit balls around. And I've gotten really into archery, which is pretty cool. I'd like to hunt a little bit. And I'll play the guitar.
0: Yeah, what kind of dogs do you have, Pat? You said you have two?
1: Yeah, I have two boxers. I've ah. always been a, a boxer person. This uh, I had one for a while growing up, and now I, I've got another five-year-old, and we just got a little girl. She, she's 12 months.
0: Yeah, boxers are really First neat dogs. Life. And you said you're learning the guitar?
1: Um, No, I've been playing for a we'll little while. Guitar. I'm no okay. good. I've got some friends that are really good, so I, I can sort of judge myself. But I, I've been playing, and I write a little music. Just, yeah, just really for
0: fun. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves now, but uh, in sobriety, have you played more guitar
1: lately? Yeah, there was a, a, a stint there where I didn't really want to do anything without without drinking, but now, sort of getting a little bit more into it, I've picked it up again and I and have, have played it a lot more often now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a quick side note with guitar. It used to be a huge part of my life. I was in bands in high school and college. The band broke up. I lost my best friend. Alcohol. That's that was a rough summer. I think it was 2003 or four. But for about a decade, every time I picked the guitar up, Pat, there was just one sad, sappy love song riff I could play. No joke. And and that's also how I knew things were changing my life because like six years ago, I picked up the guitar. I was like, holy crap, I'm playing new stuff. <laughs> All right, Pat. Let's do what we came here to do. Let's talk about your journey away from alcohol. And at the time of this recording, you got over six months. Absolutely fantastic job. I cannot wait to to unpack it and to share that with listeners. But uh, let's go from the beginning, Pat. When did you take your first drink?
1: So I think I was around 15 and it was... Um... Just my brother's friends, I've got an older brother, he's three years older, and a group of them hanging around. I think we had some some vodka there or something. I got really drunk and, and cried, I think, and got beat up or something like that. I remember that being first drink. And then, you know, from then on, alcohol was sort of present.
0: Yeah, yeah. I do re- for a lot of people on this interview, their first drink was quite impactful. Uh, you cried, got beat up or something to that sort. Um, but yeah. you went back to it. Was there a repose for a while, or later in high school, or whatnot?
1: No, I mean, I and we. I wasn't a heavy drinker in high school. I know it was around, and we had some, uh, you know, some parties and stuff. And we would, our group of friends would go out in the woods and drink a little bit. But I had a fairly strict father, and and grew up around a group of friends that that had fairly strict fathers, and my parents did not keep or have alcohol in the house so i grew up thinking that my parents didn't drink but i i dabbled in a, a little bit in high school and then uh, i don't know how far you want, want me to go with this drinking in college at, at parties and and i learned real quick that i could drink a lot um, I, and i don't know if that that was genetics or i, I developed a tolerance pretty quickly but uh, or just had a strong stomach or whatever it was, but I, I could drink a lot more than everybody. I knew that pretty quick.
0: Yeah, when you, when you say pretty quick, a couple times out with the guys, uh, was it like a badge of honor or tell us more about that?
1: I mean, it was uh, a little bit of a badge of honor, but um, I know, man, I uh, we would go to parties and I, I would bring like two – I guess it's uh, a pint, like two pints of whiskey, just in my back pockets to these parties, and and I'll always finish them and sort of be fine, and always want to be, you know, drinking more. The last one standing, just sitting around playing video games. I could I could drink a case of beer, and it just uh, it it just seemed like uh, I for some reason I could drink a lot more than than everybody without stumbling around and puking and whatever. Sure, and all,
0: yeah, Pat. There are some similarities with, of course, there are with people who have been on this podcast, and one of them, you, you said the last, last one standing or the last man standing, and that was, that was something similar with me, and I've heard that a lot on this. Yeah, uh, lap the pace car. That's what uh, one of my heroes in sobriety, David L, has said on this. Is we just keep going, and I think you said you brought two pints of whiskey or t- or two pints of something, and. Did you recognize that okay hang on a second this might not be normal drinking my friends aren't doing this maybe it's not a good thing that all my friends have decided to to wrap it up after the evening and I'm still going
1: yeah a little bit um and that that continued on to to the point to where I knew it was a problem and um you know then you you get into and I, I, we might be Getting a little ahead of ourselves, but you get into to knowing that, and then using little tricks and ways to to actually do that more. You have a group of friends that are just sitting around having dinner and and drinks and and whatever, and you you, you do things like not eat as much or or don't eat as hard or, or 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 you know wait till everybody goes home till you really start drinking. But yeah, I've, I've always. Wanted that that more and more and more stay up later than everybody. Uh, it's never enough.
0: Yeah. Now, Pat, you're 38 now, and you just talked about some moderation techniques or, or, or you know, ways to to work with the addiction, almost buy more time. But when did you first recognize that alcohol w- was a problem? It sounds like in in your 20s. Yeah.
1: So, um, in college, I. I I got a DUI and it was a bad one, so like wrecked a car, uh, DUI. So that that's just sort of first thing where you realize, well, I drank way too much, got in trouble. And then outside of of college, there were several times where I drink too much and and wake up and don't remember the next day, um, and have people telling you goofy stuff that you did, and and I would be thinking like literally, no, I didn't do that. Um, and I, or I can't believe I did that. My friends are just lying to me, things like that. So you, you start realizing that it's a, a problem, you know, pretty quick and, and started sort of studying and seeing why or, or what it is.
0: Yeah. You now, Pat, you you talked about, you know, not eating before you were drinking a technique to, yeah, get a, get a bigger return on alcohol. Um, you know, when was that and, and when did you recognize that, you know, perhaps these techniques to, to moderate or to, to, you know, to, to, to really drink more, when did that stuff not work anymore?
1: I would say probably 2016, 17, there was, and I think it was a slow process, but it, it definitely got to a point to where, you know, everything revolved around it. And uh, you know whether I ate or not revolved around it, and yeah, it quit working. It, it 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 turned into, you know, not I, I would usually drink to to get a buzz or to get drunk, and then it turned into I I just about can't do that, or I've got to drink so much. By the time I do that, I'm uh, I just feel bad. So yeah, um, probably four or five years ago, I uh, I got to a point to where. It it didn't do anything for me except for just make me feel sort of normal. I had to if I, you know, just thoughts like, all right, well, it's only six o'clock, and I know we've we've planned this dinner around these people coming over. If I just have beer here, and even I drank high alcoholic beer, if I just have beer here, if I eat, it's gonna take away the buzz, and then I might start sort of shaking or something before to go uh, before I go to bed. And then I won't be able to sleep, so I, I got to sort of avoid eating and, and, and maybe keep drinking through this and figure out a way to, to trick everybody into, hey, we had a, a good dinner, you know?
0: Yeah. So what you, what you said right there, you know, thankfully, it, it's been a bit since my last drink, Pat, but I remember the mental escapades, the mental gymnastics of just keeping it all going, right? Right. Um, I remember hiding, you know, hiding stuff. If there was enough left in, 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 in the fridge in the house, if people knew when I was going to drink. And while you were, while you were saying that last little bit there, my, my stomach, I almost got like a little anxiety of like, oh man, I just, I remember that. Um, and I also remember when alcohol stopped working for me, it's like, I would get, bl- I would black out before I would even, I get like a little buzz, but I would black out before, you know, why I was drinking. And I, I remember it was almost like I lost a friend and I, and I just kept going back up. So, oh, it's didn't work last night, but it's going to work tonight. And then after several, you know, tons of attempts of that, it just didn't work. And, and I reached a moment where alcohol was ruined for me. And I, and I also, I knew the gig was nearly up. Just everything you talked about, of uh, you know, how to keep it going. When did you recognize like, look, this is probably time to quit. Um, it sounds like you planned your sobriety date of two twenty two twenty two, so it wasn't then. It was probably before that. Am I correct, Pat?
1: Yeah, and there there have been a couple times. Oh, I, I would say a bunch of times where I've I've told myself I, I'm going to quit, but no no real attempts. I had some some other trouble that could have been uh, easily been rock rock bottoms for people. Um, I don't think I hit a rock bottom. But I started thinking like I, I really need to to do something before that that happens. Uh, Is it's not doing anything for me anymore. I, I literally just just drink. It runs my life. I I drink to feel normal. You've said sick and tired of of being sick and tired. So there was an attempt to quit and didn't really. Put the work in, didn't do really anything, stayed off of it for a while and started drinking back again. And then I got, I'm in in decent shape. I've always been a, a, a good athlete. I just got, I got really out of shape and was, I knew I was unhealthy. I knew I was doing, and it was, it was, it became every day, every single day drinking a lot. And I don't know if you want to know sort of how much, but drinking a lot every day, and my wife and I wanted to move on to sort of another stage and sort of talking about kids. And um, we both knew and we, we got to where, you know, we're very open about everything and talking about kids. And both knew that we're not going to have kids if I'm still doing this. And that, that was one thing I knew I had to stop doing or at least get a lot better. And I realized, you know, tried and tried and tried that it's, it's not going to get better. I can't moderate. I've got to just stop.
0: Yeah, when was your first um, real attempt to 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 stop?
1: Two thousand two thousand twenty, I stopped, and other people sort of knew I had stopped. And when I went places, I wouldn't drink, um, and that was probably for about six months. And then it it just creeped back in. Um, it, it went to where there was no alcohol in the house. To we'll have a, a you know a couple of drinks. Here and there, it's not a big deal. I'm go out and start drinking, and it just, it led back into drinking a lot every night.
0: Sure. Sure. How long did it take to get, to go right back to the same levels of drinking after six months away? And what was the levels? Two you said months, earlier, I'm, I'm curious.
1: So, uh, and, and this is how it got to this. So I, I knew I could drink a lot of whiskey. Um, so I, if I, if I had whiskey in the house, I, I would just drink it all, um, and end up blacking out. Um, so my wife and I trying to figure out how to moderate. So we stopped having hard liquor in the house. So it, it turned to beer, and then it turned into you know her suggestion was, why don't you just have a couple? You know you you just be normal, just have a couple. So I knew that a couple of twelve uh, ounce Bud Lights weren't gonna work. So I go find the the larger cans of the most highest alcohol content beers we could find. And it was either five or six of those a night. So alcohol content, it was between probably 20, 25 drinks uh, a night. And I would I would do things like, I guess this is a, uh, I would do things like going to several gas stations to to get a couple beers here, a couple beers here, and a couple beers here uh, to not let them know or maybe not to let and, and then show up at home with maybe Three beers with one already cracked and put in the yeti, and it would look like I'm just having two drinks. Where it's, I'm, um, you know, I'm drinking a whole case of beer.
0: Yeah, Pat, bless your wife's heart. On you know, she try to help, but normal drinkers don't get this. And advice like, hey, you know, let's just have a couple. It's sound advice. You know, it's logical for a normal drinker, but for me, you know, having having one or two was way harder than having zero. Just because shutting it down after two. It sucked. It it was torturous at times. Bless her heart, you know. And 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 you talked about going from gas stations and, and before. And there there's been times where I've gone into gas stations and and I was driving one time and I just I took a Tall Boy into the bathroom, crushed it as fast as I could, um, and just walked out. Right? Um, I think they call it shoplifting as well. I didn't even really think about that at the time. It's just. Back to what we were saying earlier, the amount of energy yeah. it, takes to, it takes to keep the balls in the air, to keep juggling, and you're doing all this stuff to maintain the drinking, and you also got to live life. You got to pay mortgages or whatnot, job, taxes, you got dogs the relationships. It's just, it's a lot. What would you say was your rock bottom moment, Pat?
1: So my wife had a lot to play in this, and this, is just, this might come later on and the thing. She went to some al on stuff on her own and i i sort of held that against her when i was drinking but realized it was a a huge part of my sobriety now maybe not a rock bottom moment but one just one night when i was drinking and had gotten toward the end of it and realized like this is you know it's not not getting any better not, and i uh, you call it burning the ships i actually i'm not one to do this but i posted a a pretty lengthy something on social media where all my friends, all my family could see, and I'm pretty prideful, that just basically said, you know, I'm quitting, you won't, you won't see me with another drink. And I'm not, not a big fan of, of hypocrites, and I like keeping your word, so it's going to be a, a, a bad thing, I guess, for me to, to, to see anybody and everybody that then read that post um, if I'm drinking again. And I didn't know how that was going to go, but I knew – that I needed to to do something sort of bold um, to to, to kickstart it.
0: Yeah, Pat, I love that. Again, here at RE, we call it burning the ships, having these conversations that you can't not have, putting it out on social media, whatnot. And, then Pat, what, what were the responses?
1: Really good. Learned a lot of people that I knew were struggling too. And then, um, you know, just a lot of support from friends and family and. I mean, it's not, it, at at this point, it, it wasn't really, I don't think a shocker for anybody. I've had trouble in the past and, uh, you know, I go out with my friends and, and they know I drink too much. And so I don't think it was a, a a big shocker. It was probably a relief for a lot of people.
0: And listeners, it is so extremely rare when we put it out either on social media or just on one-on-one to get a negative response. In fact, I think, I think the bulk of the stigma lies in our heads. It's just not true. And what you said there, Pat, is you found out a lot of other people were struggling. And it's almost this bridge or this olive branch that humanity needs right now is when one human being comes forth with something honest and they're vulnerable and they say, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. In this case, it's alcohol. Other people, it's like there's something inside of us that prompts us to say, you know what? I'm also struggling with alcohol or my friend, my neighbor, my friend, or or my family, whatnot. Um, or they'll come forth with something else. So thanks for sharing that. I think that was big. And, and was that last? Was that your last drink?
1: Uh, no. All right. So we, um, I did that, and then I had at that point, or maybe maybe right after that, I had scheduled an appointment with uh, a doctor. I hadn't been to a doctor in years and years and years and years. I don't really get sick, but again, along with my wife wanting to know, sort of. Am I healthy? Can we have kids? Can we do this? So went and saw a doctor and had some some pretty bad results. I guess high liver enzymes. I think is what it is. Just super high blood pressure. Just clearly drinking way too much. And and the doctor just basically told me, and he suggested I go see somebody else, just a sleep and uh, sleep psychiatrist. Went ahead and scheduled that. So I scheduled that and I went and saw that guy, and he said. You know, basically, the amount you're drinking, you need to go to inpatient. Um, I don't think it's safe for you to, to do it without. The thought of inpatient scares me to death just because I have to miss work and, you know, or or really anything it, uh, about it that would scare anybody. I don't want to be without. I, I'm prideful and whatever. So, you know, I talked to him and told him my plan and I, I told him how I was going to taper down. And I did that for, I think, three weeks with sort of the amount I was drinking and, and a less of a percentage. And I was able to be su- fairly successful with that. There were a couple nights where I drank too much and a couple nights where I hung it up. And then I got down to where I had planned to have probably about a week left of tapering. And like you said, I, I would drink like one or two beers and and it would be harder for me at that point. Like, why am I even doing this? On that, that date, I said, um, you know, pretty much I'm just going to hang it up. So I quit and it was, it was rough. He did put me on some medicine. I don't know how, how much we're supposed to talk about, but I, I've never been on like an antidepressant. Um, and he put me on um, a I think. And, uh, the, you know, I can, I can remember trying to go a night without drinking and it, and it just everything being miserable and the the anxiety and not sleeping and, and it, it did help. So the first couple of days were rough not sleeping hardly at all just soaking wet bed.
0: Pat back it up for a second. Was this okay. the 222
1: 22?
0: Yeah. Oh okay. And like let me actually comment on the taper off strategy. It makes sense, right? Where you know alcohol is 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 probably the most dangerous drug in the world to detox. That's excellent advice from that doctor. Go to go go to professional to detox. And I, I've heard people come up, with plan, come up with plans to taper down. Very few of them. In fact, you might be one of the only success stories that I recall in recent memory to be able to do this. I myself tried to taper down several times, but you taper down, taper down. Wait a second. Let's ramp it right back up. It's, it's hard. It's challenging. It's torturous. But wow, you did it. And that's when February 22nd, that was the day that you planned?
1: Yeah. And yeah, that was, that was last drink. So rough for at least a week, a couple of days rough. Um and then it it just slowly everything just started getting better and better. So implementing some to a better diet and better sleep habits and exercise and yeah, just it it got easier from the that probably the first week and a half or so.
0: Okay. Let's let's go in that first week a little bit. You said everything got better. Was it physically? Was it mentally? Was there a light at the end of the tunnel uh you know, were there cravings during that first week?
1: Physically, I I felt pretty bad, um, and sleeping was tough, and I knew it would be tough. Anxiety was, was fairly high. I think I had gotten to the point where I was so sick of it, and, and my mindset had, had, had changed enough to where I, I really didn't want it, and I didn't want to go through those first couple of days again and go through everything. So, you know, just anytime I would think about it, I would, I would think back or, or play back, not so much all the crap that I had to deal with from getting in trouble or or being stupid or getting drunk. But just the last couple of years of being miserable and not, you know, not being able to do anything about it, just didn't want to go back there. So I, I really just didn't want it. So after physically getting over the physical part of it, cravings really haven't been that bad.
0: Hmm. That's fantastic. Um has there been a, a challenging moment after the physical stuff went away where you thought about taking yeah. another drink?
1: Yeah, and I've, I I think I've been pretty fortunate. Um like I said, I think friends and family knew and there the times I had said I was quitting or 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 you know, not going to drink tonight or whatever in the past it's almost like the, you know, friends, family, whatever, they just read straight through it. It was, you know, sort of like, Oh, cool. You're not drinking alcohol anymore. Here's a beer. Uh-huh. Um, this time was different. I don't know uh-huh. if, um, if they could just see it in me, but there were a couple of hangouts where in my mind, I thought like, I'm done with alcohol, but I, I you know, if someone's got a drink there, I don't know, I might have a drink or, or whatever. Uh, I won't go back to it. Um, where, you know, a group of friends, and they didn't offer it to me. Didn't act like did, Everything was just fine. I I did a a beach trip where, in my mind, I was thinking eh, I might have a night where I go down there and drink. And it just the you know, my friends were gonna have none of it. Really, they didn't offer it to me. It, they just it was just known that I wasn't drinking. Huh. And that's I don't I don't know. There might've been uh, some talk behind my back about like, Hey guys, y'all helped him out with my wife and friends and maybe family. Um, but I think everybody knew that I was, I was going to do my best to be serious this time and, and everybody helped out. So it made it a, a little bit easier with, I guess, you know, burning the ships, everybody knowing.
0: Yeah. Oh, I highly agree with that. And, and Pat, what have you learned about yourself on this journey?
1: The biggest thing is is that I don't need alcohol. I got to where I felt like I needed it for everything, everything, and I and you just don't. Yeah, me personally, I don't I don't need it to do anything.
0: Okay, Pat, I got a couple more questions before we hit the rapid fire round, and uh, yeah, what 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 are your favorite res- resources? Do you go to AA? Have you read Quit Lit? Yeah, how have you have you logged this past six months?
1: So definitely recovery elevator um started listening to that and and uh, listened to a bunch of episodes just back to back to back to back and now I just listen you know every week several books I like audiobooks because I drive a good bit so audiobooks I did some AA in the past and I I didn't this time and, and I'm not real sure why I think I got got the mindset of the feeling of you know, I I'm not really the the problem maybe. I guess the, the problem is alcohol and it's it's nothing I don't know, maybe nothing nothing genetic or nothing. It's just something that uh I got addicted to just like any other drug and, and got to where it was unmanageable and, and uh you know, gotta sort of fix it. Sure. So yeah, the, the podcast and book audio books mainly.
0: Okay. Yeah, fantastic.
1: sorry on Facebook on the the Facebook group.
0: Yeah, well, well, well. Thanks for being part of all that, and thanks for listening, Pat. Um, yeah, you know, Pat, what's on your bucket list in sobriety?
1: Having kids, so that's a, a a huge thing for for us right now. Huge goal. I don't know when this is coming out, but we did find out we were pregnant, so that's going to be huge news for for everybody. So we're pretty excited wow. about
0: that. Yeah. Congratulations, Pat. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Pat, I got to tell you, I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth right now, but uh, I'm recently married and uh, I'm 40 and um, you before the kids thing, it wasn't even on, on a horizon on the, it wasn't even there. First off I, there was like, Oh, I I can't even take care of myself, especially when I was drinking. And the first three, four years of sobriety was like, I'm still figuring out, how to take care of myself. I don't think we ever have it figured out. Right. And like, okay, now's the perfect time. Maybe for some, but you know, Pat, I'm 40 and I don't want to be a dad at 45. If this does happen, it's going to happen soon and I'm going to be sober for it. And you're going to be sober for it. Pat, I'm so happy for you. Um, And for you and your wife and your two boxers, you're, you're building a life without alcohol. You're building a life that doesn't require alcohol to be in. And there's something you said earlier, which is huge, that you thought alcohol had to be part of everything, and that right there, that right there could be the value bomb of this episode, because people who a are addicted to alcohol, but, but or heavy drinkers or whatnot, it just becomes unconscious, it becomes habit, second nature, you know, whatever activity, and then plus alcohol. There's the activity, alcohol. There's the location, alcohol. It doesn't matter. There's the holiday, there's alcohol, and Pat. Right there, you you just said it. You're 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 un, you you you're breaking apart those those bonds with alcohol. And yes, you can have fun with that alcohol. I just did an episode about it, and don't even hype it up. Yes, you can have fun without alcohol. Sometimes it's gonna take a little bit of practice. I remember going to his name is Steve Aoki. Uh, he was a DJ. I was in Guatemala, and I was kind of struggling with sobriety. I was in early sobriety, and I went to this concert, and it was so much fun. I had one too many Red Bulls. I do remember that, but I was like, man, holy crap. That was so much fun. And it was just this, this impactful moment on my journey. And Pat, what you said that you recognize that, yes, you can have fun without alcohol. You can live life without alcohol. And Pat, I'm, I'm putting this out in the universe. You're going to find out that you can be a father without alcohol to one, maybe two, however many kids you want. It's fantastic. And and that is why we're doing this podcast listeners to share the, the transformation that can take place, the ideas, the realities that can emerge on your plate when we, when we remove alcohol, um, and you got those negative results or I, well, were they negative because those results forced you to make change in your life. Uh, those would be the elevated liver enzymes from your doctor. And here you are six months away from alcohol, Pat, you're kicking major ass, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you. And, and Pat, what's a non-negotiable for you in your life?
1: All right. So I saw that question and I've heard it before and can can think of. Uh, so I sort of thought of something funny. What do, what do you mean by non-negotiable?
0: Yeah, I interviewed somebody from Ukraine a couple months ago. And before we hit re- record, she, she also asked, like, what does non-negotiable mean? I think for me, like a non-negotiable for me right now is I'm not drinking. It doesn't matter if I have 50 people putting beers in my face or whatnot. I will kung fu fight my way out of that. I'm not drinking. What's a non-negotiable for me? Um, uh, another one is I, you know, I'm not going to find myself in an environment where like I'm in the wrong room. I'm not going to be closing down a, a, a nightclub at Las Vegas at, at 4am who'd actually hang on. I've done that before sober and that's been fun, but, um, you know, a non-negotiable would be, that's actually a hard question for me to answer right now, but have I given you enough ex- examples there? Yeah.
1: So I think mine would be, I mean, I'll tell you the one that I had those, I guess, funny, but, um, I, I'm not sure if I trust myself. Yeah. Uh I, I definitely made made a decision and I knew that it was it had to be me. And I, I knew this I could tell my wife sort of went from a trying and trying and trying and trying to help to a completely backing off. And and that changed my mindset a little bit of she's she's learned something now and she's not doing this and that and she's not telling me what to do and she's not she's letting me dig this grave. And so a, a non-negotiable, I, I think at this point would, would be for me to be alone somewhere with, uh, with a pile of alcohol. And it, it wouldn't just be one. I think I, I, I would refuse to, to just drink a beer if I had one. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would be alone, you know, with, with the ability to, to get drunk. And the other one is harnesses on dogs.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Like underwear for me is a non-negotiable. I hear you. Like I, yeah. I, I try yeah. to wear yeah. those that daily. And another non-negotiable for me, Pat, is I tried to do something recovery related every single day. That's hit a chat. That's hit a meeting. I went to an AA meeting last night, whether that's breath work in the morning, whether it's a 10 minute meditation, whether it's phoning a friend who's also on this journey whether it's a little bit of journal time. I try to do something every single day. That's a non-negotiable for me. Um, Yeah, sometimes it's journaling, pen to paper, but uh, I try to get it done every single day. Uh, All right, Pat, we have hit the rapid fire round. If you could answer each of these questions within 10 to 15 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Sure. Pat, what is a memorable moment that a life without alcohol has given you?
1: The biggest one is finding out that we're going to have a baby, I think. And I don't think that would have ever happen if I would have kept on going how how I've been going. So, yeah.
0: I'm so pumped for you, Pat. Uh, when's the due date?
1: Uh, March, the end of March of right. 23.
0: Love it. Pat, what's your favorite alcohol free drink?
1: Any of the LaCroix or really just sparkling water. I drink a bunch of those at home. And then I've got a little dive bar that we we always went to and always drank there. And I always said that I would never drink like a non-alcohol beer because I don't want people asking questions, but I really don't care now. And I like uh, the, the Heineken Double Zero beer.
0: Yeah, that is good. Here's an easy one for you. What's the point of life, Pat? Uh,
1: that's, that's tough. I think it's a test. Yeah, I don't know if it's passed or failed, but almost, uh, you know, if you, if you you live a, a good life i think it's a test
0: yeah i like it what's your favorite 80s or 90s band uh dave matthews Band. all right i love that song what are some of your favorite resources
1: definitely podcasts but mainly recovered elevator um and then audiobooks i know a lot of people mention annie grace's book and there was another book that, that it was similar to that just really exploiting alcohol and and knowing sort of the truths behind what it is, I think helped out a lot.
0: Yeah. If you had a pet tiger, what would you name it? Uh, Gandalf. <laughs> All right. Pineapple <laughs> on pizza? Yay yeah, or nay? Sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's what's up, Pat. And number 10, last question here. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners, Pat?
1: Definitely burn the ships. Uh, that, that, that was a huge thing for me. And uh, i I always felt like when I was trying or thinking about quitting in the past, I I just kept seeing myself of of missing out on something. And then I think the mindset changes uh, uh, or changed to I'm not the one really missing out. I'm sort of the lucky one that knows, you know, the truth about it and I don't really need alcohol. So it's. if you can get your mind wrapped around, it's not you're not missing out on something. You can go have fun and you can go do all the things that you would do without alcohol. Just, you don't need it. You're not missing out.
0: Yeah, and Pat, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line.
1: Yeah, sort of like I said earlier. If you go by three or four different gas stations to make to, to make it look like you're not drinking as much, and then even the last one says something like, "Oh, rough day when you buy, you know, two or three tall boys." So, yeah.
0: Pat, fantastic stuff. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you so much for yeah. listening, and uh, thanks for your time, Pat.
1: Thank you, Paul.
0: If some of what I mentioned in the intro today piqued your interest, there's a couple books I recommend reading. One of them is Reality Unveiled, and, and there's a link to this in the show notes, right? There's an Amazon link in the show notes. Reality Unveiled, forget the author. Um, the next one is Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukoff. and another one is a book, a book on hypnosis. It's called Many Lives, Many Masters. Um, yeah, I find this stuff fascinating. And indeed, these concepts do help me stay sober. There are times when I still feel loneliness or isolation. And if it's nighttime, I go out to the stars and I speak to the stars. I look up there and I say, I am you. I am made from the same material as you. And I know I'm connected with people and everybody and everything on this planet. And sometimes I sit with that knowledge and I try to feel it. And for me, this knowledge has been the precursor to feeling this connection. Recovery elevator, go big because eventually we'll all go home.